there's piles of money everywhere. And smart people can literally, I mean, you just got to step down and pick them up. The problem is, is if when you're stepping down to pick up that shiny nickel, sometimes you can lose the dollar that you're holding in your hand and you can lose momentum associated with that. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today I've acquired partnered on, invested in, or otherwise had a hand in over $150 million in commercial real estate investments. Today, our guest is Ashley Tyson, and today we're digging into opportunity zones. Opportunity zones are one of the most effective ways to reduce or eliminate capital gains taxes in specific situations. And today we're digging into what opportunity zones are, what they are not, how they help investors, reduce or eliminate their capital gains tax liability or their depreciation recapture tax liability and so much more. There was a lot of talk about opportunity zones when they were initially codified into law back in 2017 and then that kind of quieted, but they didn't go away. They're still out there. They're still being used by investors today. And today, Ashley is giving us an update on the status of opportunity zones what it looks like moving forward, whether the legislation is going to be passed, pushed forward into the future and how much further it's really going to extend for investors. A little hint for you, it's quite a long time further out. So no worries, you still have time to get in on Opportunity Zones and so much more knowledge today from Ashley. He's gonna do the best job of sharing it. I'm not gonna dig in too much here in this little intro, but you're gonna learn a ton great tool for real estate investors to reduce or eliminate capital gains taxes. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com. Otherwise, stick with us. Right now, we're going to get to our conversation on Opportunity Zones with Ashley Tyson. Without any further ado, here we go. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we dive into learning about Opportunity Zones, can you tell us quick about yourself and your business, and then we'll dive right into the strategy. Absolutely. So Taylor, I like to call myself a reformed attorney because you know I actually like to get in the game. And so I wanted to stop practicing and, you know, and be able to get in there and make stuff happen. And I've kind of done a little bit of everything in the course of practicing law. I started out at a big firm. I went from there to a tenant in common syndicator where we syndicated 1031 exchanges and we rolled them out through a broker dealer and RIA network. And then I decided that commercial real estate wasn't risky enough. So I went to develop a golf course in the mountains of North Carolina in April of 2007. And wow. when Lehman Brothers crashed, I put my keys on the pro shop counter and I said, boys, I'm going back to practicing law. And so I built up an M&A shop where we brought Wall Street level sophistication to Main Street America through a documentation process and a document generation software that we utilize for M&A transactions. And I sold that practice in 2017 so I could focus on putting more money in 
entrepreneurs' pockets and business owners and showing them how to do that by tax savings and also just kind of getting their businesses up and ready for sale, like different things that they could do to make them more valuable. And while I was doing that, I heard about these things called opportunity zones. And I was like, holy cow, that's like 1031 and private equity got married. I'm in. Let's try this thing out. And so we popped up a website and two weeks later, we had 150 inbound leads and $75 million worth of money looking for deals. And I said, boys, we're on to something. Let's figure out how to do this thing. And I got connected with Jimmy Atkinson, who's the host of the Opportunity Zones podcast. And I said, Jimmy, what do you think about creating the legal Zoom for Opportunity Zones? And so that's what we set about to do at OZ Pros. And we repurposed that document generation software that I had for M&A. And we said, let's bring Wall Street level sophistication in the form of documentation and let's make it available to Main Street America so that everybody can take advantage of what I think is the greatest place-based economic tax incentive ever legislatively created. And so it's been a great run. We're kind of a full service, not kind of, we are a full service advisory firm now. We still do QOF and QAZB formations, but we also do compliance and we do, we assist with capital raising and we are also helping people find deals and connect people inside of the Opportunity Zone world. Great. Wow. There's so much there and very interesting track record on your own before you got into this particular business. So let's dive into Opportunity Zones and I think first I'd like to start at, you know, features and benefits, high level, what do they do? Because our listeners may have heard of them years ago when they were originally kind of put out there by the government. But I think a lot of folks that would be interested maybe haven't quite taken action on them or don't really know what the, you know, the benefits are. So tell us about Opportunity Zones and we'll get more into the, the details and the weeds in a bit. Sure. So they were created by the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017. And, you know, I'm a fan of your podcast where you're trying to get folks to you know, leave Wall Street and get into Main Street and the recurring revenue associated with that. And that's exactly what the drafters of the legislation you know, did in this case. In three pages of legislation, I got to hand it to them that they, what they were able to accomplish in those three pages is that they said, listen, let's get Wall Street's attention, the people who are invested there, and let's get them to exercise those pent-up capital gains. Because at the time, there was like a trillion dollars of capital gains inside of Wall Street. And so they said, take those capital gains, roll them into a qualified opportunity fund, and you get to defer the gains right until December 31st, 2026. And then if you're invested for a certain period of time, we're going to allow you to reduce the taxes that you pay on those when you pay them in 2026. And then whatever your new investment is, we're going to give you a step up in basis to fair market value when you sell that new investment after you've held your investment in the fund for 10 years. And that's really significant because a step up in basis to fair market value not only eliminates capital gains, but it also eliminates depreciation recapture. And for your savvy investors that listen to this podcast, they understand that tax-free compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. But coupling that in with cost segregation and bonus depreciation is the ninth wonder of the world. And so effectively, opportunity zones allow you to capture that cost segregation and the bonus depreciation to offset against all of your income and then to be able to exit that on the back end without paying any depreciation recapture or capital gains. And so it becomes a really powerful tool to create generational wealth you know, by basically investing into Main Street America, right? these areas that have historically been underinvested in. That doesn't mean they're bad, right? It just was 
the governor's got to designate 25% of their low-income census tracts as these opportunity zones. And so that's effectively what it's done, is that it's gotten the intention of private capital, it's gotten it off the sidelines, and it's made it patient. Great. Well, thanks for summing that up so well. And there were a few key dates that you mentioned in there. First, get this getting rolled out in 2017, and then 2026. And you know, this is, I'm going to reveal some of my ignorance here, and I did before we started talking, is that you know, I thought there were some kind of sunset clauses on the whole Opportunity Zone thing. I thought maybe this was winding down. So, you know, this episode's coming out in, in early 2023. So where are we looking in the, you know, early 2023 ranges? Are we kind of getting toward the end of the oppor- Opportunity Zone opportunity, or is that going to be extended? What are we looking at moving forward? So we got a, we got a game, right? And we like to play sometimes around my house or whatever. And my kids aren't of drinking age, so they have to drink water. But I was on a bus and I was given a tour down in Puerto Rico, which by the way, 98% of the island is an opportunity zone. And wow. the guy, one of the guys on the bus is like, hey, every time Ashley says opportunity, you got to take a drink of your whatever. They have beers and wine and stuff on the bus. And I was like, no, that's a really bad idea because <laughs> you guys won't be able to talk. And so I, I, it kind of made me laugh when you said the opportunity of opportunity zones, because that word is so ubiquitous and tied of, so I will try not to wear it out, but I'm sensitive to it. So the opportunity of opportunity zones is still very much in effect. So you mentioned dates. So they have to sunset most tax programs. And so they tied that to the expiration of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, which expires as of December 31st, 2026. So they said, listen, we want to back out from that date and we want to make it so that people get off the sidelines. And so if you've invested for seven years prior to that date, you're going to get a 15% reduction in your taxes. So seven years was 2019, December 31st, 2019. Then they said, if you're in for five years, we'll give you a 10%. And so that date was December 31st, 2021. So I hear it all the time. They're like, oh, well, 2021 is come and gone. So is this program even you know worth it anymore? When you do the math, that 10% and 15% reduction, it's meaningful, but it's a rounding error compared to the back end, which is the step up in basis to fair market value, which you can avail yourself of if you have any kind of capital gain all the way up till December 31st, 2026. So you could, you could be making investments into opportunity zones all the way into September of 2027. And that's if there's nothing currently done. But there's currently pending legislation that's bicameral and bipartisan and that, that's going to extend the program out for two years. And so it would make it so that you could invest all the way till December 31st of 2028. And then it would also reenact that 15% for anybody that gets in during 2023. So it's very much relevant. And it's all indications seem to be that we're going to get that legislation through probably beginning part of 2023. Hey, maybe by the time this thing airs, that thing will already have gone through. (laughs) But if it doesn't, it'll be fairly soon after that. And then what that does is it reenacts, it picks back up that incentive, gives us an extra two years. But the smart money, right? And everybody that's listening to your podcast, I know is smart money. And this, the smart money is thinking, wow, this sounds a lot like a Roth 401k, right? Or a Roth IRA. And do you ever pull money out of your Roth IRA? You're not asking, how long do I have to hold it? You're asking, how long do I get to hold it? And the answer for Opportunity Zones is right now, December 31st, 2047. With the extension, it would be 2049. And so we're talking about 
25 years from now that you get to hold on to these assets and let them grow tax-free. Wow. Okay. So at that point, you know, I'll be in my late fifties, not to date myself, but you know, <laughs> similar to a Roth IRA when I had to st yep. start taking distribution. So at that point, are the way things stand, assuming nothing changes, will everybody that has a property in an opportunity zone be like required to sell or what's the disposition no. at that point? So you get a step up in basis to fair market value when you sell, when you have some okay. kind of transaction and it doesn't have to necessarily be to a third party. So if you sell to a third party, whatever they pay for that, that's what your basis is now. And if you if you want to just get this step up yourself, you could just convey it to a new entity, right? A related party, new entity. And then you're going to reset that basis clock at that point in time. You know, I think that we're going to see some probably some interesting things coming out of the IRS with more clarification and guidance as we get closer to, you know, that 2047 deadline. But as of right now, you don't have to do anything. But if you want to get that step up in basis, you need to actually transact. And so ideally, you're transacting to a third party. Worst case is that you're selling it to yourself and you're stepping up the basis to fair market value. Okay, great. So I want to move away from the forward-looking aspects of the legislation and sure. talk nuts and bolts for the listeners and investors out there who are thinking, okay, I hear stepped-up basis. Great. This is something that I might want to look into and dig a bit further, but like, what are the actual options? So you mentioned the qualified opportunity funds and all these other vehicles, but what are the ways in which people say, I already own real estate and I want to get into a qualified sure. opportunity zone? What, what are the kind of steps to do that? So the first thing is you have to have a capital gain. And that's the unfortunate thing. So they wanted to get money out of Wall Street, but they should have made it so that anybody could put anything into it. So you have to have a capital gain from somewhere. Now, you can couple that capital gain with non-capital gain dollars. And you do it with some debt instruments. And we talk about that in all kinds of kind of deep dive educational stuff. I'm going to give kind of a general overview. And if anybody wants more information or wants to dive deeper, we've got all kinds of videos on our YouTube channel. We've got a full educational product that's available. And then we do these strategy calls and I do tons of them. I've done almost 2000 of them as of now. And we walk through the specifics with, you know, that apply to people's situations. So you need to invest capital gains into a qualified opportunity fund within 180 days of the gain. Now, a qualified opportunity fund can just be any, it can be a partnership or a corporation. So an LLC taxes a partnership works. So what it allows you to do is that you could make an investment into a third-party fund, but you could also create your own. And so that's what we do at OZ Pros. That's our kind of our bread and butter inside of that is that we do done-for-you creation of captive opportunity funds for people to do their own deals. And so once you drop your money into your fund and you've got 180 days from the gain, or if it comes through a partnership or an S-Corp, you've got 180 days from the end of the year or from the partnership tax filing deadline. So it's actually a fairly long period of time. The other great thing is, and this is where it just crushes 1031, is that you don't have to put it with a QI. And we use opportunity zones to salvage failed 1031s all the time. And so if for whatever reason you've put money with a QI and you're like, oh, I can't identify anything, we take that money, we take it from the QI and we drop it into their own fund. And now they've got between six months to a year to deploy that money into actual qualified opportunity zone property, which can be 
interest in a qualified opportunity zone business, right? So it doesn't have to be real estate. You could actually invest in operating businesses. You could invest in startups. You could invest in businesses that you want to take from outside of the zone and move them into the zone. And so inside of that, once you make your investment down into the qualified opportunity zone business, you now have 31 months to spend that money and and, and spend it on property or other assets inside of that business. And there's some 70% tests and nuances inside of that that I, I'm not going to bog you down with right now, but that if anybody wants to know, we can do. But effectively, what you have to do inside of that business is you either have to work inside of the zone or you have to improve a property inside of the zone. Now, if it's raw land, all you got to do is just do something to it. If it's got a building on it, you're going to need to double the value of the building. And so what they were trying to accomplish is to get activity going, new investment activity where people weren't just land banking or putting money into stuff, but they were actually taking action that was going to benefit the area that they're investing in. And that's what Opportunity Zones have unquestionably done, is that they've moved over $100 billion worth of private capital into areas that otherwise may not have seen it. Great. So there's so much there. Glad you mentioned the 1031. Yeah. One of the downsides with the 1031 exchange, which I'm not here to rag on 1031 exchanges, we you know do those and help our investors with those. But one of the downsides is that you have to identify opportunities before you sell and the QI, as you mentioned. With the opportunity zones, you have the 180 days, but before you realize the gain, do you have to nope. identify all those opportunities? No. And in a 1031, right, you can wait till after you've got your money with a QI, but you got 45 days to find a good property and to put it on the list. And then you got 180 days to close it. Inside of the opportunity zone, you got 180 days to put your money into a fund. And that's literally moving it from one bank account to another because you control both of those with the funds that we create. And then once you have it into the fund, you've got between six months to a year to drop it down to a qualified opportunity zone business. And then after that, you got 31 months. So you got about four years to actually have to get your money into like a project and to get it spent. And so it crushes it from a timeline standpoint. One of the other things that 1031 investors need to be cognizant of is that they're like, oh, I'm just going to defer these taxes until I die. And then I'm going to get to step up in basis to fair, you know, to fair market value. And that is absolutely true. But it applies towards your lifetime exemption amount. And so that's not what... I mean, people don't... They're not paying attention to that. Right now, that amounts at $23.4 million if you're a married couple. It's 11.7 if you're a single. But that's dropping down as of December 31st, 2026 to $10 million per married couple, $5 million per individual. And so if you've got more than that and you've been 1031ing and you have zero basis, now all of a sudden your estate is going to have to pay 40% of whatever amount is above that threshold within 180 days. In opportunity zones, that's not the case. It's whatever amount that you initially invest into your opportunity zone fund if you when at the date of death it's that amount that goes against your lifetime exemption not the current fair market value and so that becomes a really powerful distinguisher between 1031 and opportunity zones it's kind of a a de facto irrevocable trust for purposes of estate planning and i know i got into kind of the weeds there but i think it's important for your listeners to really be thinking about that because no, there's really nobody talking about that yeah absolutely i feel like we we kind of had a floor in of opportunity zones in general, I feel like we kind of had a flurry of discussion about opportunity zones in 2017, maybe 2018. Then they sure. kind of 
disappeared and nobody is <laughs> still talking about it. But, you know, here we are today. So, okay. So we're talking about scales of, you know, how much you're going to be you know, bequeathing to your uh, children, all that kind of a thing, $5 million, $10 million or, you know, whatever. But this, this makes me wonder if somebody's considering using a quali- qualified opportunity zone fund, you know, how much of a capital gain do you need to have or what scale to, do you need to be at where this really kind of starts making sense? Because if you've made a thousand bucks, well, it's going to cost more than a thousand bucks to just to pick a kind of ridiculous low number. Sure. It's going to cost more than that to just do the paperwork, right? But yep. if you've got a few million dollars in capital gains, then hey, I can see where this makes sense. Where does that kind of start to balance out? So as it relates to your initial capital gain, I typically seen around $50,000, right? So if you got above 50 grand, if it's below 50 grand, and it, people aren't really looking at this for the deferral metrics one way or another. But if it's above 50 grand, people, you know, all of a sudden they're like looking at that, at that tax bill. They're like, okay, maybe it makes sense to defer it. If it's above $500,000 and now you're getting into the 23.8% tax bracket relative to your capital gains, People are like, okay, I want to defer that all day long because it's an interest-free loan from the government. Now, I love that question that you just asked, though, because it's not about the capital gain that you have now. It's about the capital gain that you anticipate having in the future. What's your new investments going to be? Because it's the growth that you get it completely forgiven on. And so we've done the analysis on that, right? That you know, general setup and maintenance cost and that kind of thing might run you but you know between 40 to 50,000 dollars over the course of a 10 year hold right so let's call it 4 to 5,000 bucks a year and if you if you basically divide that by the current tax rate if you're going to have if you anticipate having more than 180,000 dollars of gain in the future then it makes sense for the maintenance costs that you're going to have along the way and so that's at a 20% capital gains rate and so you can imagine that if you're doing a deal that's above $200,000, right over the course of 10 years, you're going to expect it to at least double. And so if you're doing a deal that's above 200 grand, it, it you should at least look at it, especially if it's in an opportunity zone. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, this being the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, we're all about making sure that our listeners can invest in real estate without buying themselves another job. So I'd love to dig into passive options or you know what are some passive options that you see out there so that folks aren't going out and doing their their own you know opportunity zone deal you're helping them maybe put together the fund so they can deploy that capital but as far as you know the actual execution of the project what do you see out there in the field yeah so i mean there's some fantastic third party managed funds that are out there right that that are involved in multifamily that are involved in hospitality i actually invested into a deal down in puerto rico where there's some gentlemen that are redoing five hotels down there and i was like you know what where else in the world can you get a tax advantaged investment on white sand beachfront property <laughs> i'm like holy cow i'm in and so there's there's deals like that right where you can basically just place your money and then there's a a, a developer that's going to do the deal there's also groups, and we've we've done a lot more of this lately. The great thing about the Opportunity Zone program is that you can buy something almost complete, and that's going to qualify as original use. And so we work with a number of firms like Fourplex Investment Group. We work with Neil Bawa as well. And we put together the fund and the QOZB for them to be able to buy a completed 
either fourplex or townhome or a shopping center or you know apartment building or whatever it is that they can find. And so as a result, folks have now started coming to us and saying, hey, listen, can you plug us in with investors that are looking to buy something that's substantially complete? And as long as you take it before you put it in service, you get to basically step into that and you get all the benefits of the Opportunity Zone and you can bring in third-party management if you want, but you don't actually have to build it or supervise the construction or the development of it. Interesting. Okay. So they're basically buying a 95% complete investment property. And as far as the way the the legislation is written, that's totally uh, totally okay because the original use was it was maybe a you know, empty lot or something like that. Correct. And they added all the value and built the property. Is that, you know, I'm I, I'm not a big anti quote unquote loophole guy. You're never going to hear me talk about tax loopholes because I think, you know, the code is written the way it's meant to be written. But did they do that on purpose or yeah. was that kind of an accident? No, absolutely. So their, their main desire was to encourage investment into these areas and to c- encourage activity. But they understood that it can sometimes be difficult to line up investors with folks that are actually doing the development and to be able to do that on the front end of a project. So let's not penalize somebody that's in the in the weeds getting a project done. Let's let them avail themselves of the benefit by selling it to somebody that wants to keep it for 10 years. Because let's face it, there's a lot of developers that 10 years is not in their program, right? They buy stuff and then they sell it or they build stuff and then they sell it as soon as they are close to getting it stabilized. And so this allowed for that to occur. One of the challenges, so it's funny because you talk about loopholes, one of the unfortunate loopholes that they did create is that because you actually have to buy the property, you know, development deals get done all the time where you go and you talk to somebody and you're like, hey, contribute that property in, I'll develop it, and then I'll give you X percent of the deal, you know, when it's vertical. And so that happens all the time. And there's no taxable event until you start making money on it. Unfortunately, in the opportunity zone world, you can't do that. You actually have to purchase the property. And then when you purchase it, they said, no, you can't take your capital gains from that sale and reinvest it into the same fund because that's going to be circular cash flow. And so that was one of the unfortunate loopholes that they actually closed with the final regs that actually is, you know, it's unfortunate because it kills like the way that a lot of deals get done. And so we've had to get really creative about devising strategies that effectively accomplish the same thing, but that don't that aren't that kind of simple mechanism. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And I, I feel I'd be a little bit remiss. We talked so much about capital gains, but we haven't talked about, you know, just the income from our properties that they produce. If it's like a cash flowing piece of property, this doesn't do anything with regards to our actual the taxation of our income from our properties. Is that right? That's correct. So until your thing until your deal, until your investment in the fund turns 10 years old, it's just like a normal partnership. And so you're going to pay taxes on the income. But the benefit is, is that you get to depreciate all of the stuff that you've built, right? All of the bonus depreciable assets, you can bonus depreciate that stuff out, offset the income. And then the key piece is, is that when you sell, you don't pay any depreciation recapture on that. And so that becomes really powerful. Great. Great. Okay. Awesome. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com 
and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the Personal Capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Ashley, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? So I started wholesaling houses back in, you know, in the early 2000s, and I decided that I wanted to get into impact investing. So I set up a company called Satirian to do that because I wanted to make a difference. The big, big firm had sufficiently sucked my soul. I was like, it's time to give back. (laughs) And one of my wholesalers came to me with a mobile home park and he said, hey, I got two. He's like, do you want to buy one? And I was like, absolutely. And so that mobile home park was probably the best investment that I ever made in total, you know, in anything. And so I, I would definitely say mobile home parks, and I got a PhD education as a result of that investment. Nice. They've gotten significantly more popular within the last couple of years as well. So the market ultimately ended up catching up with you yep. in, that, in that asset class. Great. And then so we had that's the what generated investment. my capital gain, right? That, that, that I now put into an opportunity zone fund. <laughs> Great. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? So I foolishly decided to take equity for raising equity in a gun manufacturing company. I'm a huge gun guy. And so I was like, man, I've always wanted to own a gun company. So this guy came to me and he had a contract to forge upper and lower receivers. And so I was like, all right, I'll take some equity and I'll help get the money raised and we'll just go do this thing. And I basically bought myself a job for the next two years. (laughs) <laughs> and so it was It was one of the, the nightmare situations that you describe where I had a full-time job lawyer in, and then I had a full-time job trying to run this company so it didn't die. And then I had to sell it literally right. Thank goodness we sold it. I sold it right before Trump got elected and, and we were, I was able to get out of it. I had fun doing it, but it was the worst monetary investment that I ever made from a time <laughs> standpoint. I didn't even get a gun out of it. I got a bunch of parts in my basement. And so- that would be the worst. Is it a brand we might be familiar with or no? No, it was because we were OEM. We were manufacturing for other... And one of our, our main buyers was Remington. And look where they are right now, right? So, <laughs> so I mean, anyhow, I, it, was a, it was a fantastic education about the gun business and the cyclicality of it and what not to do. So I guess I, I did get some value out of that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Anything you can walk away from, you know... With a lesson, I suppose there's a there's a positive uh, yes, sir. silver lining. My favorite question here at the end of the show is, what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? So I think that it's it's the niches, the riches are in the niches, right? So niche down and to really focus. You know, I'm a I'm a serial entrepreneur. I like to kid around to say that I'm an entrepreneur trapped in a lawyer's body, and I finally got out of that. And But within that, when I stepped into fully being an entrepreneur, my biggest struggle was not getting distracted by the shiny ball because there's piles of money everywhere. And smart people can literally, I mean, you just got to step down and pick them up. The problem is, is if when you're stepping down to pick up that shiny nickel, sometimes you can lose the dollar that you're holding in your hand and you can lose momentum associated with that. And so the best you know, piece of advice and and that kind of thing was from my EOS integrator, a guy named Casey Cavell. And he said, listen, you've got to stay focused on the main thing. And 
in doing that, that was the best piece of advice that I had. Wow. I love that. I love that. Well, great. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And I, I just want to ask, this might tie into the, my final, final question, but you know, folks are interested if they really want to like learn more about opportunity zones or like what the next step is, or maybe learn if this is right for me or anything like that. Like what's the next step that they should take after finishing this episode? Absolutely. So at ozpros.com slash Taylor, right? So we set up a special landing page just for your for your audience. We've got special offer there. We've got a discount for a strategy call. So if somebody wants to get on the phone with me, they can. If somebody, they want to get on the phone with my team, they set a strategy call with me. It's a consulting call. And so we've got a special discount code there for that. We've also got a cheat sheet, right? That has, it's basically opportunity zones on a page. And so they can download that from that same page. And we also have this thing called the Compliance Bootcamp, where it's an hour and a half call every Tuesday from 10 to 1130. And we answer just rapid fire questions. That's by far the cheapest way to interact with us. But we tried to make this as accessible and as affordable as possible for people to figure out if the Opportunity Zone journey is for them. And then we are the OZ Sherpa. Right. And so we help them along the path and we try to make it as affordable as possible. Nice. I love that. And is that the best place for folks to reach out and get in touch with you? Yes, sir. OZPros.com slash Taylor. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. And to everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you, ha you guys have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.